0: pleasure it is to welcome you to the CSF monthly podcast for June 2021. I'm speaking to you from an unseasonably warm Scotland. The sun is indeed shining. I know that'll take you back, but it's true. Well, despite the sunshine in Glasgow, we've managed to upload four new papers to the website this month. Well, of course, this month also saw another virtual EULAR Congress, leaving us with an extraordinary wealth of data for us to to take away and for us to try and synthesize for you. And that's what I want to do in this podcast. I want to think and spotlight some key highlights from the ULR Congress itself. Um, Well, I have to say with the continuing pandemic, it was really remarkable to see the role that ULR played in the COVID-19 response. I speak with the obvious conflict of interest of being the immediate past president of the organization. But nevertheless, there was a plethora of research reflecting what has been a a truly fascinating year and the advances that have been made surrounding the treatment of inflammatory diseases during COVID-19. Well, let me turn first of all, therefore, to treatments during COVID. Um, From the safety of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in people with rheumatic diseases, the use of baricitinib and tofacitinib in hospitalized patients with COVID-19, to machine learning algorithms to predict acute respiratory distress syndrome, and the impact of the pandemic on physical functioning and mental well-being, what an interesting subject matter for us to cover. The COVID vaccines being a recent focus, a, a preliminary assessment undertaken by QM1 colleagues from Italy investigated the safety profile of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine in people with rheumatic diseases. And this was poster 1248. If you want to go and look at it in detail, um, it was a, an interview of 27 patients. Um, And then 35 subjects complained of an adverse events after first vaccine dose. The take home message from this poster was that the BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine was as safe in rheumatic disease patients as in healthy subjects. So that's at least a a top line summary for you to give to patients and maybe pose that question to you. What about COVID itself? Well, Friedman and Vasquez from Mexico presented a poster on the use of baricitinib and tocolizumab for the treatment of moderate to severe COVID-19 in hospitalized patients. And this uh, underlined that treatments effective in rheumatoid and and other musculoskeletal diseases may be effective in treating COVID-19. If you look, for example, at poster 1233 on on the Friday day of presentation, patients hospitalized due to COVID-19 associated pneumonia and or respiratory failure requiring supplemental oxygen or invasive, non-invasive assisted mechanical ventilation were analyzed. Eleven patients were treated with tocilizumab. Thirty patients received baricitinib, and the take-home here was that baricitinib was significantly associated with better outcome. That was manifest as discharge due to improvement with significantly shorter hospital stay. Uh, moving now to an interesting study from Izadi and, and a group of international colleagues who aimed to develop a prediction model to identify risk factors associated with ARDS in people with COVID-19 and pre-existing rheumatic diseases using data from the COVID-19 Global Rheumatology Alliance. Uh, Machine learning algorithms to predict COVID-19 acute respiratory distress syndrome in patients with rheumatic diseases. Uh, The the GRA, quite an extraordinary, I guess, social media connected group of investigators from around the world. Uh, And the take-home learning Uh, uh, here was that a machine learning model uh, predicted the onset of ARDS with 81% sensitivity using baseline information obtained at the time of COVID-19 diagnosis. So clearly this needs further investigation, but it's certainly a very interesting use of modern bioinformatic technologies with clinical and other relevant data sets to start looking at potential outcomes validation, however, is always going to be the the key here, but this was a gradient boosting machine algorithm who knew, but it's very interesting and hopefully this will be validated in due course. Now, another thing, of course, that we're all aware of is the impact the pandemic has had on mental well-being and in the levels of physical activity that we're doing. And and colleagues from the United Kingdom presented an interim report of an ongoing research study exploring the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on physical functioning and mental well-being in patients with rheumatic diseases. Um, Have a look at poster 1241 if you want to see the details. But the key take home here is that neither mental nor physical health of um, patients, uh, who had uh, underlying uh, COVID related abnormalities were worsened by the impact of the pandemic, although physical functioning of patients with ARD significantly decreased during the eight months of follow-up. So um, the extremely vulnerable patients studied in this particular study do seem to have at least some resilience in there in terms of mental and physical health, but be aware that, that, that physical functioning did drop for those with, uh, with, with ARD, acute rheumatic disease. Now what about uh, other areas of interest in the the Congress? Well, pain and difficult to treat was an area that I thought was particularly interesting. Uh, We're we're more and more concerned with that, if you like, the hurdles that remain rather than that which has been achieved, and there's, I don't think, any dispute that difficult to treat, and and, and pain remain areas of real importance. one particular presentation to highlight came from Wilkin colleagues who looked at pain catastrophizing in rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and axial spondyloarthritis. And the objective of this, this study was to explore if pain catastrophizing score was associated with remission rates. Uh, this was an oral presentation, 89. Uh, you'll find it on the Wednesday uh, part of the, the, the online schedule if you still have access to the Congress. And the background here will prospect a real world study to explore if pain catastrophizing spores are associated with remission rates uh, in rheumatoid psoriatic arthritis and axial spa uh, patients from an outpatient clinic in Norway Um, There were a whole range of variables collected, and the key outcome here was that significantly fewer high pain catastrophizer patients reached remission compared with low pain catastrophizers in RA and axial spa, but interestingly not in PSA, and we need to now start looking at that in, in more detail. As ever, we really need to understand the, the people we treat rather than just the diseases that they manifest, if you like, the tidy scores that are so easy for us, the physicians, to look at. Uh, and uh, thinking about difficult to treat disease um, and, and pain management, uh, I, I, I want to highlight a, a poster that, in fact, I and other colleagues presented, uh, forgive the conflict of interest. And this was looking at pain uh, taken together. Um, that being a challenge for us in PSA, uh, data amalgamated from the select PSA1 and PSA2 Phase 3 clinical trials, uh, evaluating a parasitinib in the treatment and management of people with psoriatic arthritis, what we did in this particular poster, which was poster 1047 presented on Wednesday at the Congress, um, which is a uh, uh, a post-hoc analysis just to be clear amalgamating data across the two phase three trials evaluating uparicitinib in people with psoriatic arthritis and the take-home message here was that in biologic DMARD inadequate responders and in conventional DMARD inadequate responders with active PSA uparicitinib, JAK1 selective inhibitor achieved rapid significant and clinically meaningful reductions in pain across a whole range of disease assessment. So those data are complementary to what we already knew about the in terms of inflammation control. Specifically thinking about difficult to treat, well, a whole range of posters at the Congress. I'm going to highlight one from Hirano and colleagues from Japan, who looked at a retrospective cross-sectional uh, analysis to evaluate incident rates of difficult to treat patients with rheumatoid. This was poster, um, 4.50 again shown on Wednesday. Uh, you'll be aware that we've recently proposed the definition of difficult to treat RE. And this was a retrospective cross-sectional single study center. Uh, using the Toyahashi RA database to evaluate incidence rates of difficult-to-treat RA in Japan. Um, and it, it turned out that uh, a range of patients, 9% or so of people, had difficult-to-treat if they'd received more than or equal to one biologic or targeted synthetic DMARD. This rises to 40%, give or take, difficult-to-treat RA in patients who have received two or more biologic-targeted synthetic DMARDs. And these patients tend to be older, have significantly greater RA duration, concomitant prednisolone use and higher disease activity at the time of starting their biologic or targeted synthetic DMARD. Maybe that seems intuitive, but starting to recognize those patients and their importance in clinical practice, I think, is the beginning to find solutions for them. Um, there was also, as you would expect, a stream of clinical data in RA, PSA, and other indications. I'm going to start with the select PSA 1 and 2 PSA 3, phase 3 trials, um, in which uh, uh, Thierry Sarnas and colleagues explored immunologic pathway modulation by But Again, conflict of interest here. I was involved in this analysis, but it's a really fascinating study. We looked at immunologic pathway using o technologies in people receiving a parasitinib of 15 milligrams. Um, despite treatment with non-biological, biologic DMARDs in the context of clinical response and non-response. And the key take home message here is that the uh, showed down modulation of plasma protein biomarkers associated by inference with T-cell myeloid interferon IL-6 and TNF pathways in both biologic DMARD and conventional DMARD and responder groups. Um, they, these effects are broad. And they probably arise from direct and indirect inhibition of the adaptive and innate immune response compatible with the expected mode of action of this drug. And the idea, of course, is the more we understand about how drugs work, the more likely we are to understand how those drugs will, in the long term, be targeted to the right recipients. And um, Next, a, a study from Baldi and colleagues. Uh, from Siena in Italy, looking at the short-term efficacy of baricitinib in reducing synovitis score. This time, using composite semi-quantitative um, ultrasound synovitis score. This was poster six sixty-one. Bottom line is that using ultrasound, you're able to significantly uh, evaluate impact of baricitinib. Um, four milligram was efficacious uh, for efficacious for up to six months and provided prompt improvement also in PROs within the first few weeks of treatment. So an interesting integration of imaging and clinical score systems, which I think is pointing to the future. Um, Xenophon Barliaklis and colleagues undertook a post analysis to evaluate the effect of filgotinib on spinal lesions over 12 weeks in the Tortuga trial, uh, which evaluated, uh, amongst other things, MRI data and spinal inflammation and structural lesions, and the... The take-home message here, well, this is the first placebo-controlled trial to demonstrate a decrease in inflammatory activity with filgotinib on spinal vertebrae and posterolateral elements of the spine facet joints using MRI-based analysis, exciting integration of imaging with clinical outcomes. I'm thinking about a new agent. Well, um, Philip Mees and college looked at the efficacy of a novel agent um, to cravacitinib in patients with active psoriatic arthritis, um, this is a study in which uh, patients were uh, randomized to receive Ducratacitinib um, or uh, placebo, pre-stratified by TNF inhibitor uh, uh, re- recipient status. And Ducratacitinib is a tyrosine kinase 2 a TIC2 inhibitor, and which has shown efficacy in psoriasis patients, cutaneous psoriasis. And the take home here was that there was efficacy in uh, the to cravacitinib versus placebo group across TNF inhibitor and body weight match subgroups. And these improvements were displayed across all ACR components. So, an interesting possible new MOE. Um, uh, and finally, turning to some of the symposia that were presented, be aware that these are industry-supported symposia, so there's all sorts of potential for bias in there. Although the, the, the ULR filters do ensure a very high academic standard in the presentation. Couple of thoughts here. Um, the, 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 the CSF station, which was uh, supported by Lilly, entitled cytokine Signalling Blockade, I would direct you to have a look at that. Eminent faculty, including Paul Emery, John O'Shea, John Isaacs, uh, Rika Alton, uh, a really interesting in-depth discussion of the Jack pathways and mechanism of action. So there's there's real insights there, and I would suggest you go and have a look at that. Um, and also, again, declaring the conflict to CSS symposium on this occasion supported by AbbVie, uh, looking at management of patients. But again, a very eminent faculty, including um, Len Calabresi, Kimi Hyrich. Robert Landaway, Chris Edwards, again, looking at what we've learned around the the COVID-19 global registries in the RA COVID era. Uh, Again, I refer you to that really rich in content and insight. So um, I hope you will Find all of this interesting please do go to the cytokinesignaling.com website for full EULAR coverage if you missed it. Don't forget uh, the June edition of publications have also been uploaded onto the website. Um, a couple of other papers reporting the long-term efficacy of baricitinib in people with RA and another compared the effectiveness of tofacitinib and tocilizumab treatment for biologic DMARD naive patients or previous biologic DMARD failure in people with RA. And the fourth paper uh, that we uploaded was um, pathways uh, it, it, dependent on JAK and STAT, which are more concerned with nociceptive cytokine receptor signaling in RA and PSA, really focusing down on how the JAK STAT pathways may influence, even independently of inflammation, the way in which pain is perceived in our patients. And as always, thanks ever so much for listening to this podcast. A little longer than normal, but there was so much exciting data to talk about. I hope you'll forgive me for that. I hope you'll dive into the ULAR Congress and and enjoy the wealth of data that are contained therein. And above all, I hope that you, your family, loved ones and colleagues and patients are well as we continue to navigate our way through this dreadful pandemic. So greetings to you, to you all, and I hope you found this useful. My very best wishes. Thank you you